Yesterday, a man in an anthropomorphic cartoon bunny outfit appeared at the White House lectern to greet reporters. Many people were surprised by the bunny's appearance. I was not. I know that Joe Biden has a reputation as a moderate in the Democrat Party. But when it comes to weird sex stuff, Biden has always been ahead of the curve. In May of 2012, Joe Biden endorsed same-sex marriage, even when his boss, Barack Obama, still opposed it. In October of that same year, Joe Biden went further and endorsed transgenderism, calling it the civil rights fight of our time. And now, in April of 2023, it would appear that Joe Biden has endorsed furries. Some of you are laughing. I don't know why. It is precisely as likely that a man would become a cartoon rabbit as it is that he would become a woman. You think it's implausible that the president of the United States would embrace furrydom, huh? Did you ever think a president of the United States would endorse chopping off little kids' genitals? No, I am past thinking that things couldn't ever go that far especially when it comes to rabbits, because I know these days elementary schools and libraries read kids gay porn in the classroom. But back in my day, we read books like Alice in Wonderland. And in Alice in Wonderland, it's a rabbit that leads Alice down the rabbit hole into Wonderland. And that is precisely where our whole nation has been living for a long time now. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. The Dalai Lama asked a little kid to suck his tongue. We'll get to that very important news story in just a little bit. First, though, I don't want it to seem like I'm being too harsh on the anthropomorphic bunny. I much prefer the bunny to Corinne Jean-Pierre. If the bunny held the press conference every single day, that would be a drastic improvement at the White House. Unfortunately, Corinne Jean-Pierre did eventually come out. And she came out to defend infanticide. But the silver lining to that storm cloud is Corinne Jean-Pierre had a little, a little slip of the tongue that undermined some of the other Biden administration priorities on the sexual culture war. Reproductive rights is a fundamental freedom. It is a fundamental right, uh, and it is a medical decision that should be made uh, between a, man, a woman pardon me, and her doctor. Without government interference. Again, without government interference. Abortion, it's a serious decision. It should be made between a man and his doctor. Oh, no, I mean, so people are pointing to this. They're saying this is a gaffe from Corinne Jean-Pierre. There is a gaffe in here, but it wasn't that. In, in Corinne Jean-Pierre's defense, it's kind of confusing these days. Sometimes there's margin calls. It's hard to tell the difference between a man and a woman. The gaffe is not that Corinne Jean-Pierre said abortion is a decision between a man and oops, sorry. The, the gaffe was that Corinne Jean-Pierre corrected herself at all. Because I can't help but notice that Corinne Jean-Pierre and the White House and the liberals generally, they're pretty clear on what a woman is when it comes to the issue of abortion. They just get a little tripped up when it comes to other issues that are less politically convenient for them. White House is inconsistent here. I don't, I don't think I'm nitpicking. The White House insists that gender is totally different from sex and men can become pregnant and women can have phalluses and all the rest. I mean, they say that with a straight face and they're pushing the ideology from the White House all the way down to elementary schools. 
They, they say that they believe that. And then the moment that it comes to their other preferred issue, abortion, they say, oh, men, men have nothing to do with this. Men can't become pregnant. Men can't have abortions. It's only women. So the White House is being inconsistent here. And of course, the White House is being inconsistent. And of course, when they move on from the trans issue in particular, and they get to abortion, of course, the White House goes back to normal because everybody knows that transgenderism is nonsense. That's why I'm excited at the prospect of this debate that I'm scheduled to engage in at the University of Pittsburgh, which has gotten a lot of fanfare. I think there was something like 12,000 signatures on a petition to ban me from appearing on campus. I said it was kind of ironic because I'm scheduled to, be, to debate a transgender identifying scholar. So if you cancel me, you cancel the transgender identifying scholar. But I, I'm excited at the prospect of this debate because while I've received plenty of debate requests from two-bit clout chasing social media influencer types, I thought that that's not going to do very much. The only way it's worth having this debate is if it is with the person who can give the best, strongest, most credible argument for transgenderism that there is. And so this professor that I'm scheduled to debate, Professor Donald, now he goes by Deirdre McCloskey, has half a dozen honorary doctorates, three degrees from Harvard, back from the day when a Harvard degree sort of meant something, uh, has dozens of academic publications. I have no particularly advanced degree. I am but a, a humble podcaster. I only have two books and only one of them contains any words. But despite this David and Goliath kind of matchup here, I, I have the truth on my side. We know what a woman is. We know what a man is. We know that men cannot really become women. And so I, I want to I see the, the other side steel man their argument as best as possible. Professor McCloskey has said that there's no reason to back down from a debate. He's actually opposed the people who want to shut down the debate. He said the way to stop bad ideas is with good ideas. He's, he said that uh, this debate, quote unquote, this will be very, very easy. You know, he's sort of disparaged the idea that I could defend my position that men and women are different. So anyway, I think if the debate is going to happen at all on transgenderism, you want it to be with the absolute top scholarly intellectual people who can possibly defend it. And I think you could have four and five Harvard degrees and you still wouldn't be able to defend it. In fact, I think the more Harvard degrees you've got, probably <laughs> the more confused you get on that issue. Look at Corinne Jean-Pierre, not Corinne Jean-Pierre, rather. Look at uh, uh, Judge Katanji Jackson, the Supreme Court justice who was asked, what is a woman? And <laughs> when she was asked, what is a woman? She said, well, I don't know. I'm not a biologist. Two Harvard degrees, but, but can't quite tell. So it's important to hash that out because even the liberals admit they know it's crazy. When Corinne Jean-Pierre is at the White House lectern, she admits men cannot get abortions. So, okay, let's good. Have the debate, resolve it once and for all. Now, speaking of taking care of yourself, speaking of your body, when you want to look good, you got to check out GenuCell. Right now, go to GenuCell.com slash Knowles. The day when skincare was just for women are over. Are you tired of dealing with puffy eye bags, dry skin, and wrinkles? Do you want to look and feel your best every day? Then start taking your skincare routine seriously and check out my friends over at GenuCell Skincare. My producer, Ben Davies, uses GenuCell's Dark Spot Corrector. Mr. Davies, that guy can use all the help he can get, okay? This is formulated with revolutionary ingredients that effectively diminish the appearance of unsightly dark spots, acne scarring, and any other patches of discoloration. The GenuCell Dark Spot Corrector leaves Ben with a bright, even complexion. Definitely brighter and evener than he started with. He looks younger, healthier, and more vibrant than ever. 
I love all of GenuCell's products, but I particularly love their under-eye bag treatment. Say goodbye to fine lines, wrinkles, and even those annoying under-eye bags. GenuCell will have you looking 5, 10, or even 15 years younger, just in time for the normal weather. They guarantee results in as little as 12 hours or your money back. Try GenuCell's most popular package for 70% off at GenuCell.com slash Knowles. All orders are upgraded to free shipping, and every subscription order includes a complimentary spring spa box with three spa essentials. Three free gifts plus free shipping. Go to GenuCell.com slash Knowles. GenuCell.com slash Knowles. And speaking of gender confusion, it's not just affecting kids and teenagers. Mr. Beast is probably the biggest YouTube channel his videos get tens of millions, hundreds of millions of views. Mr. Beast's sidekick is a guy named Chris Tyson. Sorry, was a guy named Chris Tyson. I don't say that because he's dead. I say that because he says he's no longer a guy. Chris Tyson is 26 years old, and he has just decided that he is secretly a woman. Chris Tyson has made all sorts of jokes about transvestites and transgenderism, and he's mocked the idea of it before. Now, he says, I am transgender. I am a woman. All, all fun and games, right? We kind of giggle at it. I, I pity everyone who falls into this confusion. But this is even worse because Chris Tyson is married and has a two-and-a-half-year-old child. And he just woke up one day, told his wife, didn't tell his kid, I assume, because the kid's probably just starting to talk, but told his wife, yeah, I'm I'm not going to be your husband anymore because I'm, I'm going to be your wife or something. I'm, I'm a woman now. Sorry, Sonny. I'm not daddy anymore. I'm mommy now or I'm something else, but I'm not daddy, whatever that is. And he's catching a lot of flack for this online. Now, in response to that, Chris Tyson has said, informed content, hormone replacement therapy saved my and many others' lives. The hurdle gender nonconforming people have to jump through to get life-saving, gender-affirming health care in a first-world country is wild to me. Just let people make informed decisions about their own bodies in a first-world country, as if they have these kinds of therapies in non-first-world countries. <laughs> they don't have a lot of these in Zambia, okay? I don't think there's a lot of hormone replacement therapy going on in Namibia, okay? But so this is absolutely shocking. This is life-saving treatment. This is the line they always use. And this is the line that the teachers and the doctors use to guilt parents and, and uh, initiate them into the transgender cult. Is they'll say, well, would you rather have a dead son or a living daughter? Uh, yeah, you got to trans your kid. You got to trans your son and chop off his genitals and put him, put him into, onto all these hormones that make him look a little bit more like a girl. Because if you don't, he's going to kill himself and it's going to be your fault. It's a life-saving treatment. There is no evidence of that. There is no evidence that the transgender transition alleviates anxiety, depression, suicidality. Other. To the contrary, there is lots of evidence that the transgender transition exacerbates the sort of stresses and despair that people are feeling before they go into it. We covered those studies on the show last week. But furthermore, put, put that aside for a second with this guy, Chris Tyson. The problem here highlights a broader problem within liberalism, within all of modern political thought, which is we think about politics from the perspective of what we can do. It's like Jurassic Park. I know we can do this stuff, but did you ever think of you should do this kind of stuff? 
We think of it from the perspective of entitlements, and we call those rights. Even when they're, they're things that are manifestly wrong, we still preposterously call those wrong things rights, which is crazy because wrongs cannot be rights. It's right there in the word rights. Regardless, it's not a good way to look at politics. A better way to look at politics, a better way to look at your own identity is not from the perspective of rights and entitlement, but from the perspective of obligation. Not what you are owed, but what you owe to other people. The reason what this guy is doing publicly is wrong is because he has an obligation to his wife to be her husband. Let's just say for a second that he could change his sex and gender. Well, he can't, but let's just say he could. There were some perfect surgery out there that changed all of his DNA. It changed all of his features. I mean, that still wouldn't change his essential identity. But again, let's just, let's just go for it. He still would have no right to do it. He took a vow to be her husband. He has a role. He has a job to do. He has a duty. And by neglecting that duty, he is committing a grave injustice against his wife. Then think about his kid. He owes it to his kid to be that kid's father. That's his role. That's his job. That's his duty. He doesn't have the right to shirk that duty. In pursuing his sexual fetish, he is denying his son what his son is owed, namely a father. That's wrong. And we, we all do this. We don't, we don't all go trans, but, but we all in modern life, we, we tend to shirk our duties. We say, oh, who cares about my community? Who cares about the common good? Oh, who cares about my family? Oh, who cares? And we, we make everything so cold and clean and clinical and individualistic. It's not just the left that does that. It's the right that does that too. And you see this reflected in no-fault divorce. You see this reflected in the, the weakening of the American family, even between generations. You see this in the below-replacement birth rate. You see this in the lack, the, the total loss of, of civic life and responsibility. We just forget our obligations, but we all have obligations to our duty. Now, I mentioned that this guy, just at age 26, one day decided, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become a woman. Where does this come from? We talk about how, well, maybe it's just this mental health condition called gender dysphoria. Or we say, well, maybe it's, it's a true identity that they've been just suppressing their whole lives. Or we say, well, maybe now because it's out there in the culture, people are more open-minded to it and they consider what they previously hadn't even considered, which is a little more plausible than the biological explanation. But there's one explanation that people aren't really talking about. That I, that I actually have to go to feminist websites, like the Feminist Current, to see anybody talking about, which is porn. Porn, according to many writers, according to many people who have looked into this, who have looked into this a lot more closely than I have, porn is playing a huge role in the surge of transgenderism. We know that porn is ubiquitous in the culture. Unless you are actively pursuing a discipline not to look at pornography, and you are a man, chances are you are looking at pornography in this culture. Porn rates are, among men are, are like over 90% or something. And the age at which young men are exposed to this is 
I, on average, I think 11, and that's an older statistic. I think it's actually declined since then. So Feminist Current writes, why isn't anyone talking about the influence of porn on the trans trend? In recent years, trans pornography has soared in popularity. According to Pornhub's metadata, both trans and transgender porn searches have more than quadrupled in the three years between 2014 to 2017. And by 2018, trans was ranked the fifth highest search term of the year. Now, I was informed of this a few years ago by a reporter colleague of mine here at the Daily Wire who said, Michael, have you heard about this kind of transgender porn called hypnosis porn? And I said, nope, haven't heard about that one. Tell me about it. And she had gone on some deep dive, hadn't watched it, but had, had read about it. And she said, it's this kind of pornography where when people fall into it, it just totally scrambles their brain, more so than even other kinds of pornography. And it can lead to a rapid onset feeling of gender dysphoria. So I said, okay, well, uh, I'm curious. I don't want to look up the porn for a couple of reasons. One, because that, that would be wrong to do. And I don't want to expose myself to that. And I don't want to then have to, you know, then I have to miss lunch the next day so I could go to confession. You know, it's just, and it's a busy week. So I didn't want to do that. But I did look through forums of people talking about this and articles in places like Feminist Current. And the way people write about this genre of porn is terrifying. I remember, I don't remember the exact quote, but there was a guy who said, I fell into this porn in my 40s. I was a totally normal guy. I fell into this genre of porn within something like two years. I couldn't get the idea of becoming a woman out of my head. It's ruined my life. Another person said that it seemed like a military-grade psychological weapon. So I thought, oh my goodness. I don't, even when I'm reading about this kind of porn, I try to. I don't want too many details because it seems like it's really, really potent. And it would probably help to explain the shocking surge in transgender identity. Unless there's just something in the water that's turning all the frickin' Zoomers trans. <laughs> Not the frogs gay, but the Zoomers trans. Then probably there's something to do with this. If your view of sexuality is being totally transformed and that phenomenon is coinciding with everybody looking at increasingly crazy pornography, there might be a connection there. This is, this is what one person said, in, according to the Feminist Current article. Quote, I started watching trans porn initially five or so years ago, and I remember I had post-orgasm regret. So, you know, he finished looking at the porn, doing whatever he's going to do, and then he, he felt... Uh, shame at that, which is a good feeling to feel if you, <laughs> when you do something like that. But he says, back then I imagined myself as the guy. About a year and a half ago, I, I started to imagine the possibility of being the girl in these scenarios. I wanted to be, I'll clean up a little bit of the language here. I was turned on by the submissiveness of it, he says. Then he goes on, this has led me to have some gender dysphoria as I would love to be the woman and see where that would take me in my life as a fully transitioned trans woman. Too long didn't read my sexual and gender identity has been completely flipped on its head because of this hypnotism type porn. All of which is to say, the, the White House has just declared that the COVID pandemic is over. Oh, good. That's glad. I'm glad. I'm sure you can all breathe a sigh of relief. I know that you were on the edge of your seats, worried, staying up at night because you were so worried about the COVID pandemic. We were told for years that COVID was the greatest public health crisis in the country. Porn is by far the biggest public health crisis in the country. And it's the one that no one's allowed to talk about. No one who objects to it is allowed to bring it up. And the ruling regime pushes it on everybody. 
The ruling regime defends porn broadly on free speech grounds, which porn has never been defended on free speech grounds for the whole history of our country until very recently, and the whole history of our civilization until very, very recently. It's obscene material. Obscenity is not protected by, by free speech laws. But they're going further. They're pushing the porn in libraries, and they're pushing the porn in elementary schools. It's a very powerful tool to control people. It's a powerful tool to degrade people. When one looks at porn, one has the reaction that this guy has looking at a very extreme and particularly degrading form of porn. But it's the same reaction. It's a kind of a shame. Uh, Elsewhere in the Feminist Current article, someone said that the very act of looking looking at pornography is degrading. And so this uh, humiliating and hypnotic type of porn is a kind of meta-pornography, that it's a pornography about what it is to view pornography. And it, it can take you to really, really weird places. Now, there, I've, I've tried to, well, I've, I've tried to speak in vaguer terms about this. One, because mercifully, I haven't seen it, so I, I can't really speak to the details. But two, because I don't, I don't want to pique anybody's curiosity. This is powerful, powerful stuff, according to pretty much everyone who's come into contact with it and everyone who's doing research on it. And it would seem clear to me is leading to lots of terrible effects on public health and little, little kids are being exposed to it. And we're just dilly-dallying. We're doing nothing about that. We're worried about COVID. Oh no, the kid might catch a cough, which statistically won't do anything to him. What about that? If you've got, if you've got something warping people's minds that has the objective of degrading people and you degrade and humiliate a whole people, how are you supposed to have a great country? Now, when you want to edify yourself, when you want to educate yourself, you might want to check out Grand Canyon University. Are you ready to take the next step in your education but struggling to fit traditional classes into your busy schedule? Grand Canyon University's online programs are designed to make earning your degree easy and accessible no matter your age or stage in life. Whether you're a busy professional looking to advance your career or a stay-at-home parent juggling family responsibilities, GCU's online courses give you the flexibility you need to learn on your own terms. Grand Canyon University specializes in helping you fit your bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree into your busy day. From scholarships to customized scheduling, your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. So why wait? If you're ready to take your education to the next level, you need Grand Canyon University. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. One of my favorite schools I've ever visited. I've got some colleagues, actually, who I met visiting Grand Canyon University. Now they work with us. GCU.edu. That is GCU.edu. If you're looking for something interesting to watch, check out our series, What We Saw, hosted by storyteller Bill Whittle. Season one is focused on Apollo 11, and right now, for a limited time, all four episodes are available for free on YouTube. Meanwhile, on Daily Wire Plus, season two of What We Saw is in full swing. And this time, Bill has set his sights on the Cold War and the tension between two superpowers that lasted for 45 years. Episode five picks up with the death of Joseph Stalin as a newly inaugurated President Eisenhower has just taken office. With knives out for succession in the USSR, Eisenhower sees this moment as a brief window of opportunity to reset the conflict. Bill makes you feel like you're there witnessing history. New episodes of Cold War come out every week, but you've got to be a member to see it. Go to dailywire.com slash Cold War to start watching. Also, This past weekend, Yes or No, the greatest interview show on the internet, came back with a new episode. I sat down with the youngest member of the Daily Wire family, 
and my Jeremy's Chocolate counterpart, Brett Cooper. We bridged the generational gap this episode, so you're not going to want to miss it. You also shouldn't miss your chance to bring the fun home and order Yes or No the game right to your door. That's right, the pre-order is over, and Yes or No is in stock at dailywire.com shop. We are actively shipping games once more, but do not wait. They just sent out a lot of the pre-orders, and it took out most of the stock that we've got right now. So I would strongly recommend, if you do want a copy, that you get it now. Last time we did this, it sold out instantly. So order your copy and secure it today, dailywire.com slash shop. So there's a story that I want to get to before we get to the Dalai Lama sucking on a, or trying to suck on a boy's tongue, which, you know. Let's, let's have a palate cleanser between all the weird sex stuff. There is a big threat to journalists right now. A big threat even to my job. But because I consider myself working as a journalist, but not of the journalist class, because I think that the establishment media, the mainstream media, are <laughs> effectively the enemy of the people, I'm celebrating this, even though it threatens my own employment. Kuwait has just rolled out a virtual news anchor. Her name is Fedha. I'm Fedha, first presenter in Kuwait who works with artificial intelligence at Kuwait News. What kind of news do you prefer? Let's hear your opinions. And she's very nice looking, blonde woman, very pretty, but not too pretty. So you're still, you're still hearing the news from her. Fedha is an old Kuwaiti name. It refers to silver. And I think the reason they named her that is because we imagine robots to be metallic, kind of like, you know, on the Jetsons or something like that. And she is not, though. She looks like a person. If you just watched her read the news, you would think this is a real person. But this is not a real person. And so a lot of people, especially conservatives, are going to hear this story, which is not being reported in a lot of places. It's it's even hard to track down the video because it's in Arabic. They're going to see this story and they're going to say, oh, I will. I'll never watch that. I'm not going to get my news from a robot. You're not going to trick me. You will. You will get your news from a robot at some point. And you will engage with this technology sooner than you think. It'll just be everywhere. You already probably get a fair bit of your news from robots because robots have just invaded Twitter. And a lot of the trends that you see are because bots are are, uh, pushing those trends up. There is a benefit here. It's not all just dystopian. The benefit of artificial intelligence is, one, that it's kind of cool, and you can see interesting artwork on some of the programs, and it's, it is a technologically impressive thing that you've got this fake woman who can read you the news. You can have her say anything, and it'll, it'll seem indistinguishable from a real person. But what I like about AI, what I think the silver lining is here, is that it highlights what it means to be human. You're going to get your news from AI because the AI is going to know the news better than the people do. You're going to get your news from AI because that is going to be the way that that news organizations start to push the news out. Maybe not in the form of this, this, this artificially generated fake woman, but AI is going to do that. And it's going to do it better and faster and more accurately than human beings. And so you will engage with it. It shows us what it means to be human because it shows us that limitations are at the very heart of being human. And if you lose the limitations, you lose your humanity. 
And this is what, not ju- you see, especially in the transgender movement, but, but this is what the whole project of political liberalism has shown us. The whole project of political liberalism is to break past the traditional limits and boundaries of what it, what it means to be human. Liberate ourselves from the political order and from the nation and from our families and from even our biological selves. And we're going to break those limits. But when you break all the limits, then you're gone. Because you are human. You're finite. You exist within limits. If you break all the, the limits, all you've done effectively is kill yourself. You've annihilated yourself. So what does it mean? You, you might think, well, look, I get my identity because I'm the best artist. Well, pretty soon AI, if not already, AI is going to make better art than you. We'll make the same art that you can. So you still have a role in making art, but it'll make very, very impressive art. You will not be the best artist. Well, I get my identity because I'm the best news presenter. No, you're not. You, the robots will be better news presenters than you are. Well, I get my identity because I'm the best accountant. No, you're not the best accountant. The The robots are going to be way better accountants than you for sure. Well, I'm, I'm the best this, I'm the best that. No. Your identity has to come from something more real. And we, we try to ground our identity in all of these glittering idols in our professions, or we try to ground our identity in our hobbies, or our, increasingly in consumer culture, we ground our identity in the, our products that we consume. Or you ground your identity in some sexual fetish or desire that you have. You see that a lot these days. Your identity's got to be grounded in something more real. Your, the true place that your identity must be grounded is in God, because God is the source and summit of being and all identity. And then you can have your profession, and then you can have your family, and then you can have your community, and then you can have your affinity for certain products. We all do. That's part of a normal life, but it's in its proper place. And you fulfill your roles, as we were talking about earlier with the Mr. Beast guy. You fulfill your roles, you do your jobs, you fulfill your obligations, but you do all of that because of where your identity is ultimately grounded. You will not be the best at all of these secondary things for much longer as AI advances at lightning speed. We went from AI could do blurry kind of weird demon-looking images where the hands were all messed up to AI can create a human being (laughs) who speaks and looks perfect reading the news in like six months. It's going to move very, very fast. Speaking of spiritual matters, I've got to get to the Dalai Lama. This is video. I'm sure you've seen the video. The Dalai Lama is at some event and he talks to a young boy and the young boy comes up and gives the Dalai Lama a hug. And then the Dalai Lama asks, well, I'll, I'll let you hear it in his own words. Who's here? <laughs> Then I think finally here also. Okay, so then he gives the boy a little kiss, kiss on the lips. And the audience is sort of laughing and clapping. Put their heads together. And then, and then uh, he's looking at the boy. And suck my tongue. Suck my tongue. And he keeps his tongue out. And he's sort of Thank laughing. You. Thank you. And he puts his hand on his face. I don't know. It's kind of weird. It, it's pretty weird, man. I'm not. I don't know. People are reading this and saying the Dalai Lama is a secret 
pedo, child molester. I don't know. If he were that, wouldn't you expect him to do this kind of thing in private? I don't, the fact that he's doing it out in public makes me think this is probably more likely just a, a kind of a weird joke from a guy who's 87 years old now. I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's really, really odd. But one thing it's doing, regardless of what it is, I'm not really here to knock the Dalai Lama, and it's all out on tape, you can form your own conclusion, is it, it, it dispels some of the myth around the Dalai Lama. A lot of people in the West are fascinated by the Dalai Lama because a lot of people in the West are fascinated by Eastern religion because a lot of people in the West have abandoned their own religion. And so they, they've been disenchanted with their own religion, but because we have a natural spiritual longing, we're looking for something. So we've been told since kindergarten, Christianity's fake, the Bible's bunk, it's a science is what you should follow, and science totally disproves God, or whatever nonsense they tell you. But, so we're, we've been disenchanted there, but we're looking for something else. So people look to Hinduism. You think about George Harrison, was fascinated by Hinduism. Or a lot of, a lot of suburban white women just love Buddhism. They just, they're so, they don't really know that much about it, but they're drawn to it, and they go do yoga, and it's essentially the substitute for for their uh, church on Sunday and for their own religious life in Christianity. And then you look at the Dalai Lama doing this and you're saying, wait, huh? This guy, that doesn't seem so mystical and pure and wonderful. And it's a reminder too that the Dalai Lama is primarily a political figure. Obviously, he has a huge religious aspect to it as well because all states at all times have had something to do with religion because all human conflict ultimately is theological. But he's a political leader. The institution of the Dalai Lama is less than 500 years old. It's a relatively modern position. And the Dalai Lama is the leader of Tibet. That's, and all of the spiritual uh, trappings of that are, from a practical standpoint, in service of his standing as the leader of Tibet. And, and his role as a politician is emphasized by his take on religion, which is Dalai Lama doesn't encourage people to convert to Buddhism. In fact, what he said is he encourages people to remain in the religion of their own communities. Christianity uniquely is universalist. Go make disciples of all nations. Most other religions are more local. The Jews don't evangelize. The Buddhists don't really evangelize. The Hindus don't evangelize. Their social structures from within their own tribe and from within their own nation. And the fascination with the Dalai Lama and the Dalai Lama's uh, insight on politics should remind us of that. There's no escaping religion in your life, and there's especially no escaping religion in politics. Politics, religion rather, forms the basis of politics. So which religion is it going to be? It's going to be Buddhism? We're going to live in a Buddhist nation? We're going to live, is America going to become a Hindu nation? I, I don't think so. I think it's probably going to be a Christian nation. So what what does that tell us about the way that we ought to live and structure our politics? We, you know, we got to talk to each other about this kind of thing. When you want to talk, you got to check out Pure Talk. Right now, go to puretalk.com. Use promo code Knowles. We all know about the big wireless companies out there. They lock you into these horrendous contracts. And if you try to get out of them, what happens? They tack on outrageous charges. That is one of the big reasons why I made the switch to Pure Talk, where there are no hidden fees, no contracts, and no hassle. Pure Talk's U.S. customer service team helped me make that switch in as little as 10 minutes, and I was even able to keep whatever phone number I wanted. If you want a new phone number, you can get that. If you want a new phone, you can get that. Pure Talk just makes it all so easy. Pure Talk has a range of affordable plans to choose from. You can find the perfect option for your needs 
unlimited talk, text, plenty of data for just $30 a month. Their 5G service is super fast, consistent, does not drop calls. You can get the same coverage you're used to, same networks, at half the rate you're currently paying. PureTalk saves the average family over $900 per year. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code Knowles to save 50, 50% off your first month. puretalk.com, promo code Knowles. PureTalk is simply smarter wireless. My favorite comment yesterday is from JB Amazing 100, who says the release date of the Mario movie, April 5th, should officially be known as the Italian Day of Visibility. I agree. Maybe the Italian Day of Vengeance. All right. I want these people who are discriminating against the Italians. I want their political power dead. I want their ideology dead. I want their house burned to the ground. I want to go over the ground up and the ashes. Sorry, I don't know what happened. I was possessed by the, by the, the Italians of my ancestry in, in ages before. It is a day of visibility. It's great, and John Leguizamo was very upset about that. Speaking of nations and how nations get along with each other, are we in World War III? Are we there now? Mike Pompeo looks as though he's going to run for president, former Secretary of State for Donald Trump, former CIA director, also for Trump. Mike Pompeo has just come out, uh, unlike a lot of the rest of the GOP field, he has come out in defense of a robust, interventionist American foreign policy. So a lot of people aren't going to like it, but it will give people a choice. And, and Pompeo is sticking by his convictions here. Pompeo says that with China aggressing over Taiwan in the South China Sea, and the United States Navy now meeting some of that progression and standing firm in the South China Sea, and with the debacle in Ukraine and with the debacle in Afghanistan, now emboldening China to say, okay, we don't know if Joe Biden's going to get reelected, but he's weak. So if we're going to move, we got to move now, especially because Biden has been particularly weak on China for 20 years, 20 plus years. Tensions seem to be ratcheting up and a Chinese invasion of Taiwan could be the last straw to, to prompt World War III. We've already got the war in Europe based around Ukraine. If you get a war in the Pacific, you have a world war, and it's between all the same powers. That's called a world war. And so Pompeo says, the way to stop this is to spare no resource in defending Taiwan, including the use of American troops. I know the Taiwanese foreign minister who you played the clip from earlier, he's precisely right. Uh, there could be an accident there that could escalate pretty quickly. Uh, the task for the United States is to protect the things that matter to Americans. And make no mistake about it, uh, the, the business and industry that sit on the island of Taiwan, which should be recognized as a sovereign nation, uh, is essential to American commerce. We need to make sure that we're doing everything we can to provide Taiwan with the tools it's needs. Contrast that with what the Biden administration has done in Ukraine, where they've allowed this war to linger on. Are you on board with that as well? U.S. troops uh, on the ground to defend Taiwan? Senator, we often talk about Taiwan in isolation. Think about this. Uh, Japan will almost certainly get drawn into this if there's an invasion of Taiwan. We have a security guarantee to support Taiwan, much like Article 5 in the NATO agreement. Uh, what we need to do is focus today on giving the Taiwanese the tools they need to make sure that this day never happens. That's what we did for four years, and we reduced risk to America. Uh, but when push comes to shove, the United States is going to have to be all in to protect American interests throughout the Pacific. So there he is. And this is a pretty standard Republican position. It's gotten a little complicated in recent years, but the position is we don't want to go to war. 
We Republicans are less inclined to go to war than the Democrats are. And therefore, in order to prevent war, we are going to threaten war more than the Democrats will. <laughs> the argument is, Reagan said it, peace through strength. And what the Democrats do is they seem very weak, and that weakness invites aggression. And you see that happen in Ukraine. Joe Biden said, we're going to take the sanctions off of Russia. And by the way, Russia, if you invade Ukraine, if it's only a minor incursion, we're going to let that slide. And so what happens? Russia invades. Then America feels the obligation to go in. They won't just give Ukraine up to, to Russia. And so there's a schizophrenic foreign policy, and the, the conflict escalates. Wars have started. I, I'm not making... Any point over what Pompeo is saying, I'm just pointing out, wars have started over a lot less, major wars, world wars have started over a lot less than what's going on in Ukraine and what's going on in Taiwan right now. Could happen very, very quickly. And how will we even know about it? What can we even believe when the media are so dishonest? We know that the Chinese media are dishonest. That's propaganda. That's state media. We know the Russian media is dishonest. It's state media. It's propaganda. And we know that the same is true of our media and our news outlets, even though we don't want to admit that. This is why I love what Elon just did on Twitter. Elon just branded NPR state-sponsored media. <laughs> like he does to Iran and Russia and North Korea. It says, this is state-sponsored media. Now, he, he backed down a little bit because... Because now it says it is government-funded media, so not totally state-sponsored. But the the point remains the same. People were shocked by this. Why are you shocked? It's called National Public Radio. Shocked when we would do this to PBS. It's it's called public broadcasting. Why can't we call it state-sponsored media? Oh, because it's only state-sponsored media when the bad guys do it. When we do it, it's great. The BBC is not state-sponsored media. No, no, no. Elon actually responded when the BBC objected to being called state-sponsored media. Elon said, uh, remind me, what does BBC stand for again? Is it the British broadcasting? Yeah, it's sort of what I thought it was. Political concepts are much more universal than we want to admit. And this is where I think a little bit of the disconnect comes in with Americans looking around at the rest of the world. We pride ourselves on being the best country on earth. And when we've got good leadership, we are the best country on earth. When we've got bad leadership, things can go very, very wrong. But yeah, when we've got good leadership, people are doing the right thing. We are the best country on earth. But we're not totally different from other countries. We have this idea that other countries do all of these terrible things, and we would never do those things because we're fundamentally different countries in the way that we conduct politics. That isn't true. China. Do you know China has a social credit score? In China, if you contradict the ruling regime, you can be silenced. uh, You can be prosecuted and investigated. You can be told that you can't board airplanes. You can be debanked and kicked out of financial institutions. You can be removed from the economy. You can... All of those things happen here. Maybe not as at the scale that you see them in China, but all those things happen here. And do you know in in China, if you oppose the regime, they'll throw you in prison and they'll do it on trumped up charges? Oh, you don't say. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Talk to the grannies from January 6th. 
do you think? Well, 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 the gangsters from BLM who looted and rioted and pillaged and burned, well, they just go free. The DAs let them off the hook. The grannies who went in and took a picture in the Capitol, they're rotting in solitary. But you want to tell me about prosecuting political dissidents? Well, China surveils the population. That's right. They've got cameras and data collection and surveillance everywhere. Interesting. Tell me about a little branch of the government formerly known as the No Such Agency. You ever hear about that? The NSA? You you really want to lecture China about data collection? No. We engage in these things. And I'm not even knocking the United States for doing it. The the concepts that, that form political life and the practices that form political life are going to be basically universal because nations are relatively similar. The implementation and how they're particularly implemented, that's what's going to be different. The the spirit that animates a people, that's going to be a little bit different. That's why ultimately it's the religion that animates a people and our moral understandings and the way that we're going to limit what we do. That's going to be different. But that's where the difference lies. It doesn't lie in these fundamental political practices. Those are common to pretty much everybody. Now, speaking of the state, Joe Biden has actually subverted expectations. He's one of the most predictable, shallow, empty-suited politicians out there. But he is defying one big expectation, which is all the smart people said for years now, Joe Biden's not going to run for a second term. Joe Biden can't run for a second. It's ridiculous. He's not going to run. Here's Joe Biden on Easter Sunday. Will you be uh, taking part in the Easter egg rolls uh, after, planning on after 2024? Well, I plan on <laughs> at least three or four more Easter egg rolls. At least three or four more? Maybe, maybe five. Maybe five? <laughs> maybe maybe so, six. So what the hell? Are you, are you saying that, uh, that you would be uh, taking part in uh, our upcoming election in 2024? Well, I'll either, so either, either roll an egg or you know, being the, the, good, you know, the guy who's pushing them out. Come on. Help a, bro- <laughs> help a brother out. Make no, some news no, for no, me. No. Well, I, I plan on running now, but we're not prepared to announce it yet. I think he means it. Joe Biden is rarely sincere about anything in his whole life, but I think he means it. Why would he, why would he quit? Because it's good for the Democratic Party? What does Joe Biden care? Joe Biden's a thousand years old. He doesn't, he doesn't stand to benefit from serving the parties. He's served his party for 50 years at the federal level. He wants to be president. This guy has wanted to be president since he was in the womb. That's the object that he has doggedly pursued his whole life. Why would he give it up? If he can still stand and speak, which he sort of can do right now, I don't see why he wouldn't. And by the way, I'm not sure that it's good for the Democratic Party for him not to run. It shows that the the ship is unstable if the leader steps off, shows that things aren't totally ready to go. It's an admission that things aren't going great. And who's going to come fill it in? Liz Warren, everyone hates her. Pete Buttigieg, give me a break. Kamala Harris, yeah, okay. Gavin Newsom, maybe, but he's he's totally untested. And a Democrat has never won the White House from California. Last person to win the White House from California was Ronald Reagan. Politics looked a lot different back then. I think he means it. So you might very likely have another match-off between Trump and Biden. Though there is some interesting polling on the Republican primary race coming out of Florida now. I'll leave you on that cliffhanger. We'll have to get to that tomorrow because we're about to enter the membrum segmentum. 
the member block here, baby. The rest of the show continues now. You do not want to miss it. Become a member. Use code Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Check out for two months free on all annual plans. Dailywire.com slash Knowles. See you there. Did you know that mRNA vaccines are approved for use in pigs in the United States? Not to mention 85% of the beef sold in your local grocery store is imported. In fact, over 5 billion pounds of meat was imported just last year. There's so much mystery surrounding our meat, which is why I'm so grateful for my Good Rancher subscription. I know that I don't have to worry about imported meat or unknown vaccines in the food that I feed my family. Good Ranchers is saying mRNO to mRNA by offering a free 10-pound Easter ham with any subscription. Unlike the pork from the grocery store, Good Ranchers ham is guaranteed 100% free from mRNA vaccines. This is a $119 value, absolutely free with code DAILYWIRE. Go to GoodRanchers.com and say mRNO to mRNA by subscribing today. You have a right to know exactly what's in your food, and Good Ranchers is dedicated to protecting that right and providing your family with the best meat in America, free from any unknown and potentially harmful additives. Go to GoodRanchers.com and subscribe to any of their boxes and use code DAILYWIRE at checkout. Every subscription will come with a free Heritage Ham, $25 off, and Good Ranchers lifetime quality commitment. That's GoodRanchers.com, code DAILYWIRE.